Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. To know him as the Lion of Judah, who's actually fighting our battles, who said that in him we have victory, in him we are more than overcomers, in him all things have been put into subjection and have been placed at his feet, and we've now been placed in him, in Christ. And I, and I, I feel like, that for, very specifically for a few people in here, uh, that your life looks a lot like the, Philist, uh, uh, the, the army of Israel. When you're gathered together here and we're singing and, you're, and, you're, and the battle cries coming from your mouth, you're filled with bravery, you're filled with courage, but then Goliath walks into the valley. On Monday morning, Goliath walks into the valley and he starts to speak and you flee in terror because you're not trusting him as the lion of Judah that fights your battles for you. Because you look at him and you're more impressed by what you see than who Jesus is. And it's not with an evil or wicked heart. It's because you're not trusting that He really is the Lion and the Lamb. That He really is the Lion of Judah. That He really does go before us and fight our battles for us. That He really has overcome. So I just want to pray for you that that we would not be like those who shrink back. Hebrews says that's not who we are. He says we are not of those who shrink back. We're not those that's not who you are. It's a lie. When Goliath walked into the valley, he told David, he said, I will take your flesh today and I'll give it to the birds of the air to eat. It was a lie. All he had were threats. All he had were lies. And it took someone who actually believed that greater was the God who was with him than the giant that stood in the valley for him to not only win his own freedom, but to win freedom for other people as he defeated the giant, held up the head, it says and it emboldened the armies of Israel and they overtook the Philistines and slew them. So I just want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, if you feel, I feel like you know exactly who you are that I'm talking to. That when everybody's singing the battle cry, it's so easy to be brave. But when you feel like you're standing alone, that's the lie. You feel like you're alone come Monday, come Tuesday. And you're not surrounded by people that are worshiping, going after the thing. And suddenly the, val- the, the, the giant walks into the valley and begins to speak. And all the bravery that was in you, all the courage that was in you, is forgotten. And you cower, you feel fearful, and you're sick and tired of it. If that's you, would you just stand up where you are? We want to pray for you. Yeah, just stand up right where you are. We're going to just we're going to pray for you and we're going to encourage you and we're going to believe with you that that this is the end of the of the giant walking into the valley and the words that he speaks being more real in your life than the words that Jesus has spoken. Is there anybody else before we pray for these ones that have stood up? Yeah, just right where you are, just stand up quickly. Look, like I said, it's not with an evil heart. It's not like you oh you this is, you know, something even that's intentional. It's just this cycle of fear. And what happens is every time you back down, every time the giant speaks and you back down, it emboldens the giant. Goliath had been doing it for 40 days. I promise you it was easier for him on the 40th day than it was on the first day because he saw the reaction of the people and every time they became fearful, he grew a little more powerful in his own mind. He became a little more bold and he pushed things a little bit farther. And I promise you that's what the enemy's doing in your life. Every time you back down, he gets a little more bold. He wants to take a little more of your life. Because he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's what the Bible says. It's what Jesus says, who he is. He's a thief. 
So guys, just look around real quick if you see people standing up near you. Yeah, real quickly, if there's anybody else before we start praying that needs, just find some people that are standing up, guys, and let's just agree with them that today the voice of the giant would be so minuscule in their lives and that all they would hear is the voice of Jesus saying, fear not, for I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's just agree with them that not only does that giant get its head chopped off in their own life, but that it emboldens them to find other people who have struggled with the same thing. And that they can find those people and they can tell them, listen, that guy's not so scary. He used to stand down in the valley and shout at me. And you know what I did? I trusted God and I saw him get his head chopped off. He's a defeated foe. He's already been overcome by the blood of Jesus. God, we just thank You for that. I thank You that people would see You as the Lion of Judah who really is roaring in battle and fighting for us. That You go before us. God, that we don't fight flesh and blood. That our battle is not with people. Our strength is not from ourselves, God. It's You in us. It's Christ in us that makes us overcomers. Above and not beneath. The head and not the tail. God, I thank You that there's no voice that can raise itself up in accusation that would be greater than the voice of the Spirit within us that speaks truth. Would silence every, every lie of the enemy that would cause Your people to live in fear and to run back to the caves and shrink back. And we just declare and speak that this is a day of boldness. That when the Holy Spirit is in people and upon people, He brings a boldness. Not because of our trust in ourselves, but because of our trust in You, God. We just thank You for that. We thank You for a bold church, God. Not, a, not an arrogant church. Not a prideful church, God, but a church that trusts You so much that it's hard to hear anything else. It's hard to see anything else. We just thank You for that. We thank You for what You're doing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to take up our offering right now. If you filled out a visitor's card, would you please just drop in the basket as it goes by? If you didn't get a chance to fill that out yet and you want to fill it out, I know you, you won't do that during the message because you'll be paying so close attention. But right after the service ends, you could fill it out and drop it in one of the boxes by the uh, back doors. Um, now we just want to pray a blessing over, over, over you and, and over God's people in general. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your blessing in our lives. God, we, we recognize right now, we fully understand, believe, recognize, and even take joy in the fact that every good gift comes from you. God, that you are our source. God, that it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, God, and everything within it. So we just take this time, Father God, and with what you've blessed us with, we give back the portion that belongs to you, God, that you've asked for, God, fully believing it all belongs to you, and so we give you the portion you've asked for, God, in return. We ask that it would be used to bless people's lives, God, to reach people with the gospel. You would take this finances, God, and you would just multiply it above and beyond what we could even think to ask, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen. That thing is a lie. Whatever it is that's, that's speaking that you hear that causes you to shrink back, it's just a lie. 
It's like the Wizard of Oz when you see behind the curtain and you go, it says we're going to do that. We're going to look at him on that day and say, is this the one whom before the nations trembled? Like, think about what that's saying. It's saying you're going to look one day with your eyes and you're going to see the one whose voice terrified you and you're going to go, you? I was afraid because of you. I was fearful because of you. I shrunk back because of you. I actually listened to what you had to say and I considered your words. There were times when what you said meant more than my life than what he said. You don't want to live. You don't want to. Don't, let's not get there and wait for that day when, when we have to see him in order. Let's believe right now what God's already spoken about him to be true. That he really is someone that if we were to see him physically, we would look at him and say, Are you the, you're the one. Let's just believe it now. That way we can live that way now so that there's no surprise that when we see Him, we say, oh, you're the one. You're the one. It says that He's put all things in subjection to Christ. Everything has been placed beneath His feet. And then guess where He said He placed you? In Christ. You're in Him. Meaning what? That as you're walking in relationship with Him, when your eyes are on Him, when you're trusting your relationship with Jesus, when that's the most real thing, everything else is below your feet. You'll step on. He said you'll trot on scorpions and snakes. What was he saying? Don't go do a fire walk in a scorpion pit. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying the scorpions, the snakes, the things in this world that would try to harm you, you'll step on them. Not even that you'll try to avoid them. Why? Because you're not even paying attention to them. You're looking at Him. And when you're looking at Him as you're walking, you're crushing things under your feet that used to make you run and tear and you don't even realize you're doing it. It's not like you have to work yourself up. Okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to crush scorpions and snakes. So it says that they'd just be under your feet. In other words, as you're walking, following Him, the things that used to be so harmful, the things that the enemy meant to harm you, are now things that you just step on and crush and you don't even realize you're doing it. And then you look back one day and realize, oh, I haven't heard that voice in a while. Why? Because His head was taken off. Sorry, He lost His voice. You realize in that day, Goliath lost His voice. He was silenced. It's a brutal picture, but it's the truth of what we have in Christ. David didn't just win freedom for himself that day. That's the thing. There's a bigger picture than just you. God wants you set free so that you can be someone who He uses to bring freedom to other people. It's not just about you. It's never just about you. It's always for you and then through you for others. And the freedom that you win in that battle is not just for you to enjoy. You, win, you live in and you enjoy that freedom, but you also use what you've won in that battle to bring to other people who are fighting the same battle so that you can hold that head up and say, you mean Him? This is the one? Because I promise you, the Goliath that shouts at you is shouting at other people. He's threatening other people. He's trying to intimidate other people. Why? Because if he can get you to believe that he's right, he is terrified of the day that you actually keep coming at him when you hear his voice. Why do you think he started making more threats when David walked into the valley? Think about this. He's already threatened them all. He's already said, send me a man. He's already threatened what he's going to do. He's already defied their gods. But all of a sudden, here comes David. And he's still walking towards him. In fact, he's running towards him. Why do you think he keeps speaking? Because he realizes he has nothing. All he can do is hope that you believe him and stop acting on what God has said and turn around and run the other way like everybody else. 
So he picks up the intensity a little bit. What am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? Who is this kid? I'll take your flesh then, I'll give it to the birds of the air to eat. What's he doing? He's trying the same thing that's worked every other time. He's trying to intimidate you because if you'll listen to his voice and believe his voice, you'll turn and run and you'll live in fear rather than in faith. Because other than that, he has nothing. Nothing. How are you guys doing today? Good? This stuff encourages me. It's, it's the gospel. It's, it's, it's the idea that, that everything that we face in life has already been overcome by Him. So the battle is not to overcome it. The battle is to believe that it's already been overcome and then live as though it has been. It's the same way you got born again. It wasn't as if you said, okay, God, I believe that you'll send your son to die on a cross for me and then his blood will be shed and then my sins will be forgiven. No, it's you put your faith in what was already done. It's the same way that you live. Having started by faith, you now live by faith. Not having started by faith, you now live by the actions of everything that happens. It's not as if he did something one time and then said, okay, now that I've done that, go out and live the rest of your life depending on you to make things happen. It's go in the strength of my victory. It's walk by faith. It's started by faith. It's continued by faith. It's finished by faith. So you started it in faith. You believed that what he had done was enough and then you live as though what he has done is enough. It's not like... The, the way into the game, and now that you're in the game, the rules change. It is the rules. It is the game. Here they are. Believe that He's done everything that He said and then live as though it's true. No matter what you see or hear. How many of you guys have ever seen heaven physically? But you live as though it's true because you believe what He said and you've put your faith in that and so you live according to what He said. Guess what? Everything else in this life is the same principle. We live according to the Word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So if he said it, then we live as though it's true no matter what we experience in this life. Just like Madison was talking about. Not by circumstance, not by what's going on around you, not by fears, not by what other people have said, but what have you said? God, that's why we have to know him for ourselves. We have to know him. Oh, we have to know his word. We have to know what he said. We have to know who he is. We have to understand the spirit of God living in us and listen to him so that we can live by the words that proceed from his mouth. Am I getting intense? Oh, okay. Sometimes I always tell you, she says, you know, when you get really intense, it's hard to tell if you're just intense or angry sometimes. And I don't ever want to come across as angry because I'm not. But I promise you, this stuff is real. And people's lives are being destroyed because they're living less than Christ died for them to live. And it's so, it, it just, it's just absolutely just painful to see people. We had an experience this week with some people who are living so far below where God created them to live. And you look at them and all you can think is that's someone that was created in the image and likeness of God with destiny inside of them, with a plan for their lives. And yet they've chose this path. Why? Because they've listened to the voice of the enemy and he's led them down a path they were never supposed to walk. And they found themselves living a life so far below where Jesus died for them to live. And it's heartbreaking It should be our goal in life to see people come to know who He is because when they know Him, then they can see who He's made them to be. And then when they see themselves, then they can see other people. That's why you're born again. 
Why? Because the way you were born the first time was into Adam. It was into sin. Everything you saw was through a filter of sin and selfishness. So you had to be born again. You couldn't be fixed. Anybody could have been fixed, it would have been Jesus. Think about it. Why? He started perfect. He actually wasn't born of a man. He was born the seed of a woman by the Holy Spirit coming into Mary. So the sin of Adam, which is passed down from the fathers, wasn't passed down to Jesus, so He actually was born sinless. He started perfect. If anybody could have been fixed from sin, it would have been Him because He actually started perfect, but yet there was only one way for Him to be fixed when He became the sin of the world. And what was that way? It was through death. And if any of us think there's any other way for us to be fixed of our sin, we're deceiving ourselves because even He couldn't. And once He became sin, the only way was for Him to die and then three days later to be born again. The first time through a womb, the second time through a tomb. It rhymes. I'm not looking for them, but if they're there... The first person to ever touch him when he's born the first time is Mary. The first person to ever touch him the time the next the first time he's born again is Mary. One, a pure virgin, undefiled. The other, a pure virgin, undefiled. Why? Because Christ came and made everything new again. And even though she was a woman who had was full of demons and was a prostitute who had lived in sexual sin, when she got cleansed by the blood of Jesus, when she believed that He was who He said He was, she became who He said that she is. And no longer was she the prostitute. She was the woman who was just as pure as the first one. Come on, that's the Gospel, you guys. It's in there for a reason. It's so that we can discover these things by digging them out. You don't just read your Bible so that you can spout facts. You read your Bible to know His heart. You see these things. And you you read and you see that that His plan for redemption is so beautiful. He wants people to know that. He He wants us to understand as we read the Scripture that the Mary who touched Him the second time is just as pure in His eyes as the Mary who touched Him the first time. It's not a coincidence. And if he thought the only way for him to escape the bondage of slavery to sin was through death, then I promise you the only way for you and I to escape the bondage of slavery is through death. That's why it says it's appointed once for man to die. And it says that those in Christ, though they they die, they don't die. They just pass from one realm to the next. They only sleep. What's he saying? How can both Scriptures be true? Because the only time that you die is when you choose to have your life ended here on earth so that your new life can begin. That's it. Once you die that death, that's the only time that you'll ever die. If you live your whole life without ever surrendering your life and you hold on to it through the very end, what does he say? Those who will keep their life, those who will save their life will what? Will lose it, but those who will lose their life will save it, find it, keep it. Why? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you try to hold on to your life and you hold on to your rights and you never lay them down and you never actually allow yourself to die and be born again a new creation in Christ, you come to the end of your life and you've preserved it this whole time. You've held on to your rights. You've held on to self and you've held on to life and you've never yielded it to Him. When you die, you actually lose the very thing you were trying to keep. But if you come to this place where you understand, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and there's no other way for me to be saved, who will save me from this miserable body of sin? Thank goodness for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
What's he saying? He's saying if you would just actually lose your life for my sake, you'll actually find it. Why? Because the minute you lay your life down and allow him to recreate your new creation in Christ, the life you get then, you will never lose. Ever. It's so simple. These things aren't hard. The Gospel's not complicated. We make it complicated because we try to justify things and because we want, to, we want to justify the way that we live that's apart from the way that He called us to live. And so we come up with all these rules and regulations and yeah, buts and all these things. And Jesus was real simple and real plain and real clear when He spoke. If you want to find your life, lose it. You want to try to hold on to it to the end? That's your right. And guess what? People say, well, how could a loving God ever send somebody to hell? Hell was not created for man. It was created for Satan and his demons. The only thing that happens at the end of this world is God honors the choice that you made in this life for eternity. If you chose to live apart from Him for this life, you get to choose to live up. He'll honor that choice for eternity. If you chose relationship with Him in this life, He will honor that choice for eternity because He's not going to force you to do something against your own will. That's it. Can you imagine the heartbreak of God watching people who He created in His image and likeness choose a life apart from Him for eternity? This is the part of the message where I'm trying to determine if I should try to speak what I had prepared or just keep talking. It's the truth. All right, open your Bibles up. We'll just we'll make it official. Well, I quote a lot of scripture, but you guys didn't tell you this, the, the the verses every time. So sometimes you know it's nice to just open it up and see it for ourselves. But First Corinthians chapter twelve. We we started here months ago, and we took a long roundabout way of 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 getting to the next verse. Um, but I feel like it's been good and I feel like it was necessary because I feel like there was a lot of things that if we just went straight into that teaching, we would have had so many questions and so many things we would have been wondering about. And I just feel like God really wanted us to know and understand how it is that we hear his voice and believe that we really can hear him speak and believe that he really does still speak because that's such a stumbling block for so many people. And if we don't believe that he speaks, you know, it says that by faith, Abraham believed that God created the universe. You realize that it's by faith you believe that Jesus died on a cross and you're actually saved. It takes faith for you to actually receive what Jesus already paid for. It's, it's more real than anything you've ever known in your life, and yet it takes you putting faith in what he's done to receive what he did. It's the same thing with the Word of God. It's the same thing with hearing his voice. It's believing that he wants to speak to me. James says, when you ask, you must ask in faith, believing you will have what you ask for. Otherwise, let that man expect to receive nothing of the Lord. And it's God's heart. It says he gives liberally to all who ask. What does that mean? It means that he delights in giving wisdom to anybody that asks. It's so in our Bibles. It's so right there for us to read. James says, listen, it's the heart of God to give wisdom to any man that asks, and not just a little bit, and without reproach. In other words, he doesn't come to you and and rebuke you for asking for it. He's delighted to give this thing to you. But he says, even though it's his heart, even though it's his desire, and even though he wants to give liberally, you have to believe that when you ask him, you're going to get what you're asking for. Otherwise, expect to receive nothing. What changed? Did God's heart to give change? Or did God live by a principle that he established in his word that he uh, uh, elevates above even his own name that said that it takes faith to receive? Come on, it's it's in the Bible. It's in the word. With wisdom, with, with salvation. Everything. It, it's all by faith. 
It's started, it's lived, and it's finished by faith. Believing that God actually wants to speak to you is the first step in hearing Him speak. On an ongoing basis, believing that God wants to speak to me will actually open my ears to be able to hear. Will open my mind to be able to understand and believe that God actually does want to speak to me. Otherwise, I'll be filled with self-fulfilling prophecies that say things like, well, if God speaks, how come I don't hear Him? Therefore, I don't believe that He speaks. Now you are just found yourself in the book of James that says when you're asking for these things because you don't actually believe that He wants to give that, expect to receive nothing. People who stand and shake their fist at heaven and say, well, if God speaks, how come I haven't heard Him? I don't believe that He speaks. If He does, why doesn't He speak to me? They've just absolutely fulfilled that circle that it talks about in James. I promise it's in there. If you don't believe me, open up to the book of James, chapter 1, start reading through there, and you'll see real quickly that even though God wants to give it, there's things that He won't give unless the people asking actually believe that He will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There's varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, to each one, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everybody's important. Everybody matters. Everybody plays. Everybody. God's the originator of that. We think Little League invented that to make kids feel good about the fact they're not good at baseball. Huh? Everybody plays. God invented the principle. He said, now to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means every single person, the Spirit of God manifests Himself in that person. And it says there's varieties of gifts. There's a variety of ministries. What does that mean? It means you may be called to minister to people that are different than the people that I'm called to minister to, and the thing that you need to reach their hearts may be different than the thing that I need to reach their hearts. And it's the same God who's working all these things since there's different effects. What's he saying? It's going to look totally different a lot of times in your life for the Spirit of God to manifest than it does in my life. But that every one of us is, uh, is manifesting a Spirit given by the same Spirit for the same purpose by the same God. That's why we've got to be really careful that we never individually or corporately begin to look at people who are different than us and think that because they're not doing things the way that we're doing them, that they're not doing them as well as we are or that they're doing something wrong. For one, what good ever comes from that? For two, how do you know what God's called them to? How do you know that they're not doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and reaching the people they're supposed to be reaching and that the effect of the Spirit of God manifesting in their life just looks different, but it's the same God, the same Spirit for the same Lord? I'm serious, you guys. That stuff's got to die in the church. In, in the church, in individuals looking at people and thinking that they're less than or they're more than because of what God is doing in their lives, but also looking at the church and saying, well, they don't, and if they did, then how come, and they don't, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Listen, everybody's not doing everything right, but here's the point. It's not going to look the exact same for the Spirit of God to manifest and move in this place as it does for it to manifest and move in that place because it's varieties of gifts by diff- for different ministry given by the same God. And I honestly think that when we become judgmental of other people, we close ourselves down to receiving more of the Lord. Because why would He give you something that you've negatively judged in other people? 
Come on. Because He's a good Father that loves to give good gifts to His children. If He sees us being judgmental towards the gift that He's given another, why would He want to give us a gift? Because we think we're despising people, but we're really despising the Creator because our battle's not against flesh and blood anyway. So even if there is something wrong, it's not the people. It's the Spirit that they're being deceived by. That's the thing we should be going after. Never the people. That's such a huge transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when the army of God would come through, the enemies of God would be people and they would be laying bloody on the battlefield afterwards. The problem is, is too many of us walk through battle just like we're in the Old Testament when we're really in the New Covenant. And there's a bunch of people that are wounded in our wake because we've walked through and we thought they were the enemy. And, G- and Paul very clearly tells us it's not against flesh and blood that we battle, but against spirits and powers and principalities of darkness. What's he saying? That people should never be left wounded. That the enemy should always be the one that's destroyed. If you leave people wounded in your wake and you call it, well, I'm just you know, doing spiritual warfare or I'm just being me or I'm just doing this. No, you're not. Because when Jesus left, when people were wounded, it was because they chose to be wounded. But He always went after the enemy. He always went after the Spirit. And then He told us the battle's not against flesh and blood. That means it's never people that are the problem. Ever. It is never your spouse that's the problem, Roy. Even if the problem's coming through them, they're not the problem. The problem is they're being influenced by a lie. They're being influenced by fear. They're being influenced by something other than the Spirit of God. What they need at that moment is to be loved and protected and told truth in love not to be attacked back because they're already being attacked. Why would you ever join in the battle? You just think about that. How many times we've been deceived into doing the enemy's work for him. Because he's attacking somebody. They already feel attacked. They're already hurt. They're already wounded. They already feel less than. They already don't feel good enough. They're already insecure. They're already unsure. They're already all these things. And because of that, what you're seeing manifest is the spirit that they're being influenced by. Instead of going after the spirit and loving the people, we join the battle and ask him if we can help him. Hey, you're doing a pretty good job of making them feel crappy about themselves. Let me come help you and make them feel even worse. God, forgive us. God forgive us for ever making people the problem and for ever joining in and doing the enemy's work for Him. He's good enough at it on His own. He does not need our help. People do. People do. They need our help. They need truth. They need love. They need to know they're not the enemy. They need to know who the real enemy is. What does it hurt? Jesus said, greater love is not a man than this, that he would lay down his own life for his friends. What's he saying? Quit making it about you and taking it so personally and look at the person and realize they're only acting this way because they don't understand, they don't see. There's something they're believing that's not true because if they saw clearly and they understood truth, there's no way they would ever act that way because they're a new creation in Christ. They're born again. They're actually filled with the Spirit of God. They're created in His image and likeness. So if they're acting this way, it's not because of who they are. It's because they don't believe who they really are. The last thing they need is for me to come on and come along and add on to the voice of the enemy who already is called the accuser of the brethren. He's got the job. Please quit trying to take it from him.
I don't know why I feel so strongly about that this morning, but listen to me. In your relationships, you have to stop seeing people as the problem. If you really care, get on your knees and ask God for discernment as to what's going on and then go after that thing. You know, most of the time when people are acting that way, it's because they're insecure, there's something they're afraid of. That's, that's usually what's going on is people are insecure, they're unsure, they're feeling jealous or they're feeling uh, you know, underconfident or they're believing a lie. They don't really understand who they are. They don't see clearly who God made them to be. And when they see something in you, rather than asking and humbly saying, hey, how come this is going on in your life? I don't really see that in mind so you can explain to them. They find a reason to attack you because in their own mind they think if they can bring you to the level that they're at, then it makes them feel better about where they are rather than actually saying there's something that they have that I don't. Listen, it's human nature. That's why you had to be born again in the nature of God come inside of you. You can't use that as an excuse anymore because Paul asked the church at Corinth, why are you acting like mere humans? What's he saying? You guys are acting like anybody else. But you guys are sanctified. You guys were born again. You guys were raised to new life in Christ. You guys are filled with the Spirit. You were justified. Why are you acting that way? You forgot who you are. He says cause, because there's strife and, 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 and these things going on inside of you. He's, he's saying, listen, this stuff should never go on between Christian people. Ever. He says to do that, you have to act like a mere human. You're not even being a mere human because you can't be just a mere human anymore once you're born again because the Spirit of God has taken up residence inside of you. You have to act like something you're not in order to live like a mere human anymore. Before you were born again, the best you could do is act righteous. Now that you're born again, the worst you can do is act like you're not. When, when, I, when my mind got around that and I understood that, that before I was born again, the very best I could do is act holy and righteous. Before I was born again, that was the best I could do is act like I was something that I wasn't. When I became born again, the very worst that I could do is act like something that I wasn't. So when I'm living that way, it's I'm acting like a mere human. It's not who I am. It's just the way that I'm living. If they just understood that. So, so get on your knees and ask God, God, what's going on? Love the person. Love them enough that you actually spend time praying and asking God, what's going on and how can I be the answer? God, what are they believing that's not true? God, what are they listening to? What voice? Are, I mean, seriously, if I love them enough that it bothers me to see that, then I should stop what I'm doing and not go after them and not speak until I know I've heard Him. So God, there's a million things I could say right now, but would any of those do any good? What's the thing that I can say that will actually do good? This is why we need to hear the voice of Spirit. This is why we need gifts like the Word of Wisdom and the Word of Knowledge, which are what we're going to talk about today. Is because there's a million things you could say, but there's one thing from His heart that sets the captive free, that unlocks that thing. And it is, it is so important that we understand that we can hear His voice and know His voice, and that when we speak, we can be confident that we're saying what He's told us. There's been so many times where you find yourselves in situations where you don't know the answer. 
But you're there with a heart to love and you're there believing that you can be the answer, that God can speak through you. And suddenly you find something coming out of your mouth that is way beyond your ability to understand, way beyond your wisdom, way beyond your own understanding or reasoning or logic. And you realize that didn't come from flesh and blood. That's why Jesus got so excited with Peter's answer. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're prophet, this guy, that guy. Yeah, but who do you say that I am, Peter? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus gets excited. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjonas, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that your name is Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. On the rock of what? The idea of speaking what we hear from the Father, not what flesh and blood has revealed us, but what's been revealed to us by the Spirit of God from our Father in heaven. That's the rock that the church is built on is the idea that we can receive. He, he, didn't, he didn't want us to name churches after Peter. You know, or find a rock and call it Peter's Rock and build your church on that. I mean, whatever. Do it if you want to. If that helps your faith. But realize that's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, I'm going to build my, my church on you, Peter. He was saying, I'm going to build my church on this rock. What rock? The rock of, of, of this, this moment right here. This monument. That's what the rocks were in the Old Testament. It was they would build a monument, and every time they looked back at the monument, they would remember what God had done. And in that moment, every time they saw that rock that Jesus was talking about, they would remember a man can hear from God. That flesh and blood doesn't reveal to us, but the Spirit of God does. Jesus was so excited about this. Why? Because He understood, okay, now they're getting it. Now they're able to hear My voice. And the things that they're saying aren't coming just from what they've heard or seen naturally, but they're actually hearing the heart of the Father. And now He's excited. And then it says, and from that day on, He began, a little bit later it says, He began to speak to them plainly. Why? Because they could hear His voice. And now He can tell them the things. What? I no longer call you slaves, but friends because slaves don't know the master's business he's saying you guys now are starting to get it you understand why i'm here now i can speak to you like friends now i can tell you why i'm here i'm not going to speak to you guys in parables anymore for to you has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom so we get on our knees and we ask god to give us a word to show us what's going on And then we ask God if what He's showing us is for us to be praying against or if He wants us to actually speak. Because there's a lot of times He'll show you things. He has no intention of you running out and shouting. He has no intentions of you speaking. He just wants you to know what it is that you're praying for and you just sit there and you pray and you trust Him. So, okay, well, we'll we'll jump into it. Oh, we got time. All right, so so to each one is given a manifestation for the common good. That means the only reason I have a gift is, is for the good of everybody. If I have a gift and I think it's to elevate me and build a platform for me and make me the most amazing thing that's ever walked the earth since Jesus Christ, and I'm pretty close to Him as well, something's off. I don't understand why I have the gift. I don't understand why it's been given to me. And now I find myself in the same place as Simon the sorcerer who wanted a gift so that he could use it for his own gain. That didn't go so well for him. It probably won't go so well for me. So here, here's uh, just a litmus test before we jump into these two gifts. Ask yourself that question. God, this gift that I have, is it actually doing good for the people that are around me? Is it actually bringing life to the people around me? Is it bringing light to darkness? 
is the fruit of me living in, the, in, in this gift. The fruit of the Spirit is their joy, is their peace, is their love, is their patience, kindness. Is it producing that fruit in me? And when I speak and use this gift, or when I act and use this gift, does the fruit of it look like the fruit of the Spirit? Is it being used for the common good? Because you may have a gift that you don't understand why you have it, and you could be using it for your own personal gain. Or your heart could be to get a gift to use it for your personal gain, and that's why you haven't been entrusted with one yet because God's waiting until your heart is in a place where your only desire to be used by Him is to be somebody who can help other people and bring good to everybody. And when your heart gets in that place, then He can entrust you with anything because it won't destroy you. It'll actually build His bride. All right, so He says, To one is given the word of wisdom, to another word of knowledge. So we're going to talk about these two a little bit here. The word of wisdom is not, I don't think it's like super hard to understand. Um, it, it just means that you have a word of wisdom, and it's not the kind of wisdom that he's talking about in Proverbs where he says wisdom's crying out in the streets. If you seek it, you'll find it. And I don't believe it's the kind of wisdom that he says that if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God who gives to all men liberally, because this is talking about an individual thing. He says to one is given, not to all liberally. So there's a difference between a general wisdom that we can live in and walk in and operate in and ask the Father for, and that everybody can ask for and everybody can receive, and a gift. He makes a distinction here and says there's a gift of a word of wisdom. And he uses a bunch of other gifts that he talks about. In, in other words, there are things that, that everybody can live in, but there's times where there's actually a gift of a word of wisdom. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do, and suddenly you found yourself saying something that was so far beyond your own level to understand, and you just had insight into something that you had no insight into five minutes before, two minutes before? It's a word of wisdom. I use this a lot when I'm counseling. When I'm counseling, I'll, I'll ask God, God, what is the real problem? Before the session even starts. And a lot of times I'll go into the session knowing the problem and I can ask questions that get us right to the heart of the matter because God's already given me wisdom about what the problem is. And I don't even have to tell people uh, when they walk in, hey, just so you guys know, I have a word of wisdom and I already know the problem. I mean, I mean you know, if you do that, Stop. Unless he tells you to. <laughs> no, but listen, a lot of times people don't have to, you don't have to declare to people that you're using the gift. As long as it's being used for good of people, it's accomplished what it's supposed to. Sometimes we want people to know that we're using a gift because we're starting to find our identity in that. And we're using that as validation. Listen, gifts don't validate you, they validate him. Believe that. He sent them out to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to do all these things before they even knew how to pray. Not long after that, they wanted to call down fire and kill a whole city. I promise you the gifts that they walked in weren't validation of them being so spiritually mature or they wouldn't have ever been in a place where they were asking God to call down fire and annihilate everybody because they wouldn't listen to Jesus. Don't ever take someone walking in a gift or you walking in a gifting or seeing a gift manifest in your life as validation that you have reached the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. And don't ever feel like it's something that you've earned because the minute you earned it, it's no longer a gift. It's a wage. Can you do things in your pursuit of God that position you to walk in the giftings of God? Probably. 
probably because Paul says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, that there was nothing that could be done on our part. He would never say to earnestly desire them because whether you desire them or not, they're going to be given if it has nothing to do with you. But I am saying that when God gives you a gift for you to take the credit for, it would be really, really weird. Really strange. Suddenly it's no longer a gift. Jesus promised that in the last times, He would give words of wisdom to people. Turn your Bibles real quick to Luke chapter 21, verse 12. He's talking about, you know, in the last days, and he's talking about, you know, perilous times that are coming and all those things. Um, And in Luke chapter 21, verse 12, he says, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Listen to what he says. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. We better make sure that we really are denying ourselves and dead to ourselves before we get dragged in front of people and accused of stuff, or we'll take that as an opportunity not to share our testimony, but to defend ourselves. He said, listen, they're going to drag you to accuse you. Listen, they don't even understand. All they're doing is opening doors that you couldn't have gone through before, and they're bringing you into places that you would have never had access, and their goal is to accuse you, and all it's going to do is open doors and give you an opportunity to share your testimony. That's pretty incredible. And then he says this, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. There it is. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, or words and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. What's he saying? You guys, quit trying to make up a story to defend yourself before you stand before them and just go in there. And how does he give us words and wisdom if we haven't prepared beforehand? It must mean the Spirit of God inside of us can speak in the moment and give us the things to say that no one will be able to resist or refute. There's been times where people have been trying to argue something with me, and I, I, I used to love to argue, and now I can't stand to argue, and I'll just tell them, listen, I'm not going to argue with you. When that really makes someone mad when they have argument, when that, when that divisive spirit that has to be right and has to argue gets told that it's not going to be argued with, it flares up even more. I've told someone that before. I've been like, hey, listen, I love you. I don't have any interest in arguing with you and debating you. And all of a sudden, you would think that you just reached across the table and slapped them in the face because they flare up. I'm not arguing! You're arguing! Oh, I'm, I promise. <laughs> I would say something, but that would be arguing. But then you, you, you speak something to them, and suddenly it changes everything because they can't resist or refute it. Why? Because it's spoken in love, which is irresistible, and it's the wisdom of God, which is irrefutable. If we're literally not there to defend ourselves, but we're actually there with the idea that I'm here to love these people, even when they accuse us, when we open our mouths up and speak what God tells us to speak, it will be irresistible because it will be covered in His love and it will be irrefutable because it will be His wisdom, His truth. So you can expect that God wants to give you things to say in the moment that you didn't plan to say. That's a word of wisdom. It's just something coming out of your mouth and it came straight from the Father. That was a promise of Jesus. 
That's not weird. Why do we make spiritual gifts seem like they have to be so spooky and weird? Paul says it's a word of wisdom. Jesus said in the last days, don't worry when you get accused of things. And I promise that's not the only situation that Jesus was talking about where He would have the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom in a moment that we hadn't prepared beforehand. Because it says be prepared to give an answer in and out of season at all times. How can you be prepared to give an answer to every question when you don't know the question? By being dependent on His voice. By being yielded to Him. By being laid down in your own life and living for the sake of others and walking in love so that when people say things to you, you're not responding to the people and you're not responding in anger, but you're actually responding by listening to His voice. That's how you can be ready in and out of season. That's how you can walk into any situation He calls you into and have confidence that everything that you need to say will be given to you to say when you need to say it. That's a word of wisdom. He says, and to another of the words of knowledge. The word of knowledge is typically, you, it's a knowing that doesn't come from you. So I know something that I should have no other way to know other than God told me. It's something that is or has happened. Right? We can find examples of these things all throughout the Bible. We just talked about Jesus' promise of the word of wisdom. You can find examples like when the word of wisdom, when Paul stands before the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, and they both want to kill him. And he says, I'm a Pharisee, and I'm being tried for believing what you believe, because half the room's be- uh, for believing in the life after death. Half the room believes that there's life after death. The other half believes that there is no th- nothing after this life. And so Paul stands in front of them and speaks this word that nobody would have thought was wise, and all of a sudden it turns the two groups against each other because now one believes what he's saying and thinks he's on their side. Now they're defending him to the very people that are accusing him, and suddenly the people who wanted to kill him now want to defend him to the other group. And it causes such a fight between the two of them the Romans come in, take Paul out of the way, and let them fight amongst themselves. So word of knowledge. This is something a lot of times that's used to open people's hearts up to hear what God has to say to them. So um, you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 43. It's a, a pretty famous passage, but it's a super good uh, picture for us of how this works. Remember this, and remember as we read these things too, that Jesus said, the things I do, you'll do. Okay, let that ring in your head as you're reading these things, and so that way you don't disqualify them and say, well, that was Jesus, because Jesus himself said, and I tell you the truth, he that believes in me, the things I do, he will do, and greater things, because I go to the Father. So let's let that echo in our head as we're reading what Jesus did. John chapter 1, verse 43 says, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. You know, you, you don't always have to have a response of your own when you're talking to people and sharing the gospel with them, you can just invite them to find out and see for themselves. You don't, you don't always have to have a theological answer that traps them into believing what you think they should believe. A lot of times you can just invite people to watch and to see for themselves, to come and experience what it is. 
You really, really wake up every day happy to be alive. You never wake up wishing that, that things are different or, or, or that with, the, with this or with that. And I was talking to someone who said, they said, so you really wake up every day convinced it's going to be a good day? I said, yeah. How? I can't explain it to him. I don't know. You just give him your life and you'll find out. Walk yielded to the Father. You'll find out. Walk understanding who you are. Wake up every day believing that you're his son and that he loves you. And that doesn't mean that nothing's ever going to go wrong. It just means in the moment of everything going wrong, you have a greater truth that keeps you from freaking out and acting like those who don't know him as father. So he says, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And then he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So Nathanael is skeptical of what Philip comes and tells him. Why? Because Jesus came from Nazareth and Nazareth was looked down on and, and, and so he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? In other words, if God's going to send the Messiah, the one that Moses and the prophets all pointed to, He's not going to come from Nazareth. He's going to come from a, a greater city. He's going to be you know, from a greater family. He's, gonna be, he's, what, he's doing what everybody naturally does when God talks about appointing a leader. It's Samuel looking at the biggest, oldest, smartest, bravest son and saying, he looks like a king. And God's saying, Samuel, you're looking at the outside. I'm looking on the inside. You're seeing with natural eyes, Samuel. You have to stop looking with natural eyes if you want to see the things that I see. And so he's doing the same thing. It's human nature. That's why you have to be born again. Become partakers of the divine nature. That's what Peter says. It says we have been become partakers of the divine nature. Not that you will be one day. It says we have become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? It means that a new nature is inside of you because there's a new spirit inside of you. We're formerly enmity to God, alienated and enemies in your mind against him. What's he saying? Not that you were the enemy of God in your own in God's mind. You were the enemy of God in your own mind because of the way that you thought. That's why you had to repent and change the way that you think. So he says, is there is there anything good that can come from Nazareth? And Peter or Philip just says, come and see. So here comes this skeptical man who didn't say, I believe, Philip. He didn't say, awesome, let's go see this Son of God. Let's go see this Messiah. That wasn't his response. His response was, ah, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's skeptical. He doesn't want to be fooled. He doesn't want to be deceived. You have to understand, people have been hearing these stories about how the Messiah was coming for so long and they hadn't seen Him yet. Everybody was getting a little skeptical. And now all of a sudden, Philip comes to you and tells you we found him? He's a little skeptical. And on top of that, he comes from Nazareth. You know, on top of that, he comes from Easley. <laughs> he should at least come from Greenville, God's favorite city. I've just offended the Easley people in here. I apologize. Your city is beautiful. It's just not as beautiful as Greenville. 
No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the human nature side. It's skeptical. It doesn't want to be fooled. It doesn't want to be deceived. And along he comes, and Jesus says to him, Ah, indeed, a true Israelite. Look. It says, as Nathaniel was approaching, I believe Nathaniel and Philip were probably walking together, and I believe Jesus did it before they got to him. It says, as they were approaching, because he didn't want Nathaniel to think that Philip, or I'm sorry, yeah, Philip had told him what Nathaniel's response was. Why? Because you never want to take something you already know and act like it's something God told you or showed you. Ever. Why? Well, because even if people don't know in the moment, you know. And eventually, if they ever find out, you lose your credibility. So he says, Behold, a true Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel must obviously pride himself on not being someone who is, is deceitful or can be deceived because he looks at him and says, How do you know me? In other words, you've just put your finger on the very thing that I believe will be true about myself. You must know me. And he says, I'll go one better than that. Before Philip came and called you, I saw you under the fig tree. All of a sudden, a word of knowledge opens Philip's mind and opens Philip's heart to believe something that two minutes before, 20 minutes before, however long the journey took to get from where they were to where Jesus was, he was completely unwilling to believe and he was skeptical about. A word of knowledge breaks down and cuts right through all that stuff. And he says... Amen. <laughs> so perfectly timed. <laughs> Jesus answered and says, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus says, Oh, you believe because of this? What's he saying to him? He says, oh, All right, I believe. I believe what? Philip told me because of what you told me. You never know when the word that God gives you to speak to somebody is confirming something that somebody else has already told them. And even if you don't have that all figured out, if you speak in obedience what God tells you to speak, it was a simple thing. You were under a fig tree. Why does he respond and say, oh, you really are the Son of God? Because it was confirming something that was preached to him by another man. If everybody just plays their part, if everybody is just obedient to speak what God tells them to speak, you have no idea how one simple word that you say to somebody could be the thing that unlocks them to believe something that they've been hearing for a while. And you don't even have to know that to begin with. Why? Because we live by faith. It's not like God says, hey Roy, if you'll say this to this person, it will unlock something that everybody else has been telling them. Why? Because then there's no faith in that. And he wants us to live by faith because without faith it's impossible to please him. That must mean he's pleased by faith. So he says, you really are. And then Jesus does this. He says, okay, now that I have his heart, I can tell him something that just two minutes ago I wouldn't have been able to tell him and he believed. And he says, oh, you're going to see angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. What's he saying? He's saying, now that you believe because a word of knowledge has opened you up and, and has proved to you, it's given you credibility. And Philip feels known. What's his first response? How do you know me? Everybody wants to be known. Everybody. So now all of a sudden, 
he can tell him something like, you're going to see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending. Just a minute ago, he didn't even believe what Philip was saying could be true. And now Jesus is telling him something that is so far beyond that, that he's actually going to see the heavens open. Why? Because a word of knowledge made him feel known and opened his eyes to who Jesus was and gave credibility to what Jesus was saying. And God will do the same thing with you if you'll speak what He's telling you to speak. Because a lot of times when God tells you something and you speak it to people in a word of knowledge, what it's doing is giving credibility to what God has for you to share with them. And suddenly they're open to believing something that just two minutes before they wouldn't have believed because God spoke to them and they feel known. I've had it happen so many times. Um, one of the most dramatic times, I love to tell the story just because it's such a good illustration of that was um, we used to go to flea market. I mean, just uh, last week, I heard one word over somebody, and I just went to him and said, hey, I heard this. And it led to this amazing conversation. Um, but, but one of the most dramatic times was we were at a, a flea market. We used to set up a table, and, and we would put um, a sign out that said, free prayer, free hugs, all that kind of stuff. And we would just sit there. And I mean, the jockey lot on a Saturday is full of people that need Jesus. And um, so we would have a sign there. We would just stand around the table and we'd pray for people and we would hug people and we would talk to people about Jesus and share the gospel with people. But this one day as we got there, as we were walking in, I saw this guy who was sitting over at a table and he had a sign up that said um, tarot card readings. And um, so he's sitting there with his deck of cards and you would pay him whatever and he would give you a reading and tell your future. It said fortune telling and all this stuff. And, and he's, you know, people are coming up because you know what, here's the thing. The church has abandoned this stuff and so there's a void and now people are profiting from using a counterfeit. There can only be a counterfeit because there's an authentic. Nobody counterfeits a $3 bill. Nobody. They counterfeit something that's real. And so the prophetic gifting is real. And because the church hasn't embraced and actually gone after it and lived as though it is, there's a void there and the enemy's happy to fill the void with a counterfeit. He's happy to do it. Why? Because there's a reality there that people are longing for. And so this guy's got a table set up and he's doing this thing. And as I walked by, I just felt drawn to him and I knew at some point God was going to give me something to say to him, but I didn't know what. Now I could have just walked over and preached the gospel to him and maybe God would have opened his heart and he would have listened, but I didn't feel like I was supposed to at that moment. So we just kept going in and I took a walk a couple times expecting God to, to bring me over to him, but every time I walked by him, I had nothing and I felt like I had no draw to go over and talk to him. So I just prayed and kept asking. And then all of a sudden I heard it. And so I was, all right, I'm locked in now because I've heard, I know God spoke. And as I'm walking now, all of a sudden he looks at me and says, hey, my man, come over here. I thought, you have no idea how badly I want to come over there. <laughs> this is true. He said, I'm going to give you a free reading. I thought, of course you are. And I said, okay, listen, I'll let you give me a reading and then I want to give you one. He said, okay. So he starts flipping these cards around. He's talking so fast. And I don't even hear what he's saying because I'm just praying, you know, and trying to hear God. He's telling me about how love is on the way and, you know, all this stuff. You know, you're going to be married soon. And I'm thinking like, bro, you're not even like a good fake because I'm wearing a wedding ring. <laughs> you know, like if you're going to be a scam, at least be a good scam. And he's just, he's really horrible at this thing. And then all of a sudden he starts talking, but, but I heard him talking to other people and it seemed like 
you know, they were connected with what he's saying, and then he starts talking, and he says, what do you think? I said, you really want to know what I think? He said, yeah. I said, I think that you know that every bit of this is fake because you know what the real is. And I think that there was a time not long ago where somebody hurt you and you turned your back on church, you turned your back on God, and you turned your back on the things of the Spirit because of your experience with a person. And I think God's after your heart. He starts crying. He says, come here. We walk back to his car. He says, I had a lady who was like a spiritual mom to me that taught me all about these things of the Spirit, and then she did something so horrible that I swore if that was who she was, then nothing of what she said could be true. He said, and I'm just doing this stuff to scam and make money. And I said, I know. But here's the thing. You can't let what one person did to you define who God is and wants to be for you. He starts bawling, crying. Right there, he prays. He repents. He asked me to pray for him and just pray that he wouldn't go back to that. And he goes and folds up his table, packs up his Suburban, drives off, and we never saw him at the flea market again. Why? I could have gone and done a bunch of things. And not that there would have been anything wrong with it, but there's something about valuing and when you feel like God has something for you, not stepping in until you know what God wants you to do. Not being in a big rush, you know? It's like everybody that walked by from our group probably was like, you know, very aware there's a fortune teller here. But everybody had the respect to say, like, until he tells me, because Jesus said, I only do the things I see the Father do, and these words I speak are not my own, but my Father who's in heaven. What's he saying? I value hearing the voice of God, and when I speak, it's because I know his voice, and I know what he wants me to say. That's a word of knowledge. It wasn't spooky. I didn't change my voice or get weird. I didn't feel like I had to put a cloak and a staff on, you know, and start walking around differently because God had used me in that way. There's been so many times, just a simple word that you say to somebody. And it just all of a sudden, why? Because this guy feels known and he feels loved and he understands there's no way that I could have known that other than the Father who's in heaven. And all of a sudden he realizes there is a God. He cares about me so much that he would show somebody these things. And it opened him up to receive the gospel when I spoke the gospel truth into his life. So much so that he went back to the car, prayed, repented, gave his life and surrendered his life, packed up his stuff and went home. It's just a word of knowledge. It's knowing something that there's no way I could have known other than the Spirit of God telling me. It wasn't like I heard this audible voice boom from the heavens and say, he's been hurt. He knows it's fake. I didn't, it wasn't that. It was just a knowing inside of me. All of a sudden when I looked at him, I knew these things. I had a time one time where, where someone was walking out a door and I looked at them and I said to them, why do you hate your sister? How do you know that? Why do you think I know that? God. No, but how, how come you said that right now? And she looks at the person she's with and said, did you tell him? And the person said, no, we were just talking about it in there. I haven't even seen him. How would I have told him? Come to find out, she was just having a conversation with somebody about the hatred she was feeling towards her sister. And I said, listen, I feel like God just wants you to know that your sister hasn't rejected you. 
She's just going through a lot right now, and life is changing for her, and she's trying to figure out who she is, and she's probably acting a little differently towards you, but it's not because she doesn't love you. It's because she's trying to figure out who she is, and she's living a whole different way, uh, finding a whole different way of living than she's lived in the past. Have grace for her, and love her, and pray for her. She listens to what I'm saying. Why? Because I knew something about her. There was no way that I should have known until the Spirit of God showed me. That's a word of knowledge. Listen, if Jesus needed these things to minister to people, He says to the woman at the well, He's Jesus. You realize He's God in the flesh, made man. And yet He needed these things to minister to people. Because He tells the woman at the well, He says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You've spoken truly when you said that you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. What's that? It's a word of knowledge. He knows something about her. There's no way he could have known except for the Father revealed it to him. All of a sudden, she opens her heart and receives what he has to say. It's never a parlor trick. It's never so that we can brag. It's never so that we can validate ourselves or feel like we're just really something. It's always to bring glory to God. Make sure when He gives you these gifts, when you operate in them, that you make sure that the glory goes to Him. Because you know what people will say when you say them to them? They'll say, how did you know that? It opens the door for you to share the Gospel. Because there's a God that loves you in heaven and He told me that. And He told me that because He wants you to know He cares about you. He loves you. He sees. He hasn't neglected you. He hasn't forgot about you. He loves you and wants relationship with you so much He sent His Son to die on a cross with you, for you. And look at, I, I'm going to close up with this, but look at the impact that one simple word of knowledge has. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the women, Woman, it, was, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. These are Samaritan people. And it says, and from that day, many Samaritans from the city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me these things. What does it happen? One word of knowledge changes one woman's life and she goes and declares these truths to a whole city and many from the city begin to believe in Him and then they're drawn to Jesus, have their own encounter with Him and now they're not living on the faith of the woman's Word. They're living on the faith that they put in Him because now they've heard Him speak. That's what it's for. It's to draw people to Jesus. It's to live the life that we were created to live. It's to see people come to know Him as Savior and King, as Lion and as Lamb. It's not so that we can make some name for ourselves. It's so that we can make a name for Him. It's for His great name's sake. It's so that people will come to know that He loves them. The woman goes and says, she says, He, he told me every, all the things that I've done. What did Jesus tell her? He gave her one word of knowledge and then He said, listen, you're looking for Me. If you knew who I was, you'd ask Me for water and I'd give you living water and you'd never be thirsty again. What is he saying? You don't understand. This whole time you've been looking for something. You've gone from man to man to man to man and you'll never find it in a man. But I can give you what you're looking for and you'll never search for it in another person again because you'll be content and fulfilled in me. But how does he open her up to listening to him? To her. He gives her a word of knowledge. 
And suddenly he's no longer just the Jewish man sitting at the well. Suddenly what he's saying has credibility and she's listening because she feels known and she feels loved. Because he didn't let the fact that she was living in sin cause him to get up and leave the well. She feels loved because he told her that she'd had five husbands. She feels known. What is it? God wants people to know that he knows who they are and that he loves them and he wants to use us to do it. And he uses the gifts. If Jesus needed them to reach people with the gospel, I promise you we do. How arrogant it would be for us to say that we've come up with a better way of communicating the gospel than the way that Jesus Christ himself used. Well, I know Jesus needed the gifts of the Spirit, and I know everybody else in the church needed the gifts of the Spirit, but we have now evolved here in 20... Come on. It doesn't even make sense. We would never say that with our lives, but with our attitudes and our theology. We, we, we would have a hard time for our, that to come out of our mouths, but our theology and our attitudes will communicate that if we're not careful. So next week, we're going to talk about just some real practical do's and don'ts. Um, and we're going to talk more about the gift of prophecy. We've already talked about it some, but, but I want to just go through some real practical stuff, and then we're going to have a time of, of just asking God, God, is there, do you want to use me to speak? And, and we'll, 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 uh, we'll have an awesome time of just exploring what it looks like to, to have a word for somebody. So, uh, God, I just thank you for, for everything you've done for us, God. I thank you that you desire to use us to reach this world, God. I just ask, Father God, that we would be so careful and so attentive to your voice in every situation that we would never just charge in and rush in with our own words god but that we would seek your heart and know that the things we're saying are from your mouth god that we would believe and ask in faith that you would speak to us god and then we would respond and act in faith and speak when you do and we would not be those who shrink back god through fear of rejection or or getting it wrong, God, but we would actually live a life of risk because faith involves risk. It took faith for the Israelites to walk through the water when it was parted and believe that you would keep it parted long enough for them to get through, but not long enough for their enemies to come through behind them. We want to live a life of faith just like that, God listening for you and then stepping out. God, we just, we repent of any times where we've wrote you off, God, or where we've ignored you or where we've, we've had an attitude towards you or towards your word or towards the things that you desire to do through us, God. For the judgments we've made towards other people, Father, we repent. We ask that You would cause us to live a life that would be so judgment-free, God. That we would look at other people that are living and doing things differently than we do them. And as long as they're not living in sin, God, that we would just cheer on their, Your kingdom as it advances through them. Even if it looks nothing like the way You've called us to advance it. That we would really see each other as vital, important, and necessary for the whole of this area, for the whole of this nation, for the whole of this planet to be reached. It's going to take a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And God, we're thankful for the part that we get to play and we're thankful for the part that everybody else plays. Help us to pray for and encourage those around us, God. Help us to be open to hearing Your voice, God. And help us to be obedient to speak when we hear. In Jesus' name, Amen.